The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Sarah Eisen at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Pre-market is adding a bit to Thursday's losses. Even with yields backing off a touch, 10-year yield below 5. Powell's speech seen by some as dovish, but we are going into a weekend of geopolitical uncertainty. VIX near 21. Our roadmap begins with a watch on yields. 10-year does cross 5 for the first time in 16 years. Stocks looking to pull back at the open. Plus signs of a resilient consumer. Amex beats expectations record revenue for the sixth straight quarter. And transports uh, continue to be in focus. They're on pace for what would be the fifth straight weekly loss for that group. CSX reporting a mixed quarter on weaker rail demand. Knight Swift saying freight demand remains steady. Let's get to that 10-year hitting five, as we said late yesterday, just hours after the Fed chair's remarks to the Economic Club of New York. This is what he had to say about bonds and rates. Are we seeing the longer-run bonds, are they the increases in, in rates, are we seeing those come through in financial conditions in a persistent way? And I think if you look at financial conditions indexes, the answer so far would be yes, you are. Uh, persistence it will be a matter of, of, of just seeing with our own eyes. But certainly, they're coming. if you look at financial conditions indexes, they're showing tightening, and it's a lot because of longer rates. He did say a few months of a disinflationary data is just the beginning, Sarah, of what's going to be needed. But what did you think of his discussion about term premium? Well, he mentioned it, and he said that that, that could be having an impact here on long-term rates. My, my takeaway on Powell was for the doves, they, they got what they wanted, right? He didn't, he didn't make a strong or forceful case for raising rates again this year, but he did leave the door open for it. So for the hawks, he didn't manage to cap long-term bond yields. So there was a little bit of both, but I think overall the message was he's content to wait and see, like some of his colleagues on the Fed are. But, you know, David did mention that if the data continue to come in strong, they're resolute on inflation, they're proceeding carefully, but that they, that they would do what's necessary, i.e. have to tighten further if, if so warranted. I think it's interesting that with the overall takeaway in the, in the probability of Fed hikes, December came down after the Fed chair. So the whole wait and see message, I think, resonated more with the market. But interestingly, then the 10-year yield went up past 5%. Right. So is it Fed-driven or is there other longer-term factors at work here, like deteriorating fiscal issues, potentially higher inflationary pictures? You know, the, the really interesting thing that's happening beyond the long-term going, long, long yields going higher is the uninversion of the yield curve. And it's kind of happening for the wrong reason. Usually, the yield curve uninverts as the market gets more confident about the the longer-term outlook for the economy. They sell the short-term rates. But that's not what's happening. It's not a bull steepener. It's a bear steepener. And it's the higher for longer, basically, getting seeped into the, the market's mind. Well, you showed us some of the data yesterday in terms of Chinese purchases or lack thereof of U.S. Treasuries. We've talked so often about it when you talk about the fiscal side of it, the fact that we have to continue to issue a great deal of supply both for this year and well into next year. 
uh, and what that's doing. There's an argument to be made there. You know, listen, others will say, I'll, I'll talk to people, and they'll say, it's just technical. Not yeah. quite sure what that means. I mean, a lot of market participants always just like to tell you things are technical or it's, or it's positioning. Right. Well, the other thing that's happening, and I think we should mention, is QT is in full force. So they're, they're drawing down the balance sheet a trillion dollars down. It's still eight trillion dollars, so it's still a high balance sheet. But that also puts pressure on long-term rates. I think what's most remarkable, David, about this move that we're seeing, the sell-off in bonds, is it's happening during this geopolitical situation mm -hmm. where gold is now at the highest level in a few months, just under $2,000, where there's evidence of a dash for safety, where oil prices are elevated. And yet, bonds are not acting like yeah, Well, they did in, the, in a, in the, in a few, few days. days after uh, the initial uh, massacres, and then, um, and then they didn't. And then they reverted back to sort of what we'd been seeing, which was the enormous move up in yield, down in price. So they're just not, so they're not reacting to a Fed chair that seems content to proceed cautiously He's and wait. the same thing he's been saying, 100%. Sarah. He didn't say anything yesterday that we haven't heard him but say But the before. odds of December went from 40 to 25%, which is not a big deal because they weren't above 50%. But yeah. what I'm saying is that normally you'd see some buying of bonds on that kind of message. What about Bostic this morning? I know he's a non-voting member, but I was like listening to him. He yeah. says he, you know, he's, he's talking to a thing. lot of businesses every day. Who, are, who are preparing for... Uh, tougher times. He's always been sort of attuned to the caution that's out there in the marketplace. And, and we hear it and we see it in the earnings reports all the time. Didn't get it from Amex today, but. No, it, I, yeah, that was the, one of the hallmarks of yesterday was sort of a degradation in the quality of the, at least the early batch of earnings that we had gotten late last week and earlier this week. But yeah, Bostic uh, said, uh, can't imagine rate cuts in the first half of next year, maybe late 24. Higher for longer, yeah. or high for longer, I think, because he doesn't want to raise, raise interest rates. And he, you know, this has been his message that there's, that there's more to lose by breaking what they've got. Look, they've got the soft landing right now. They do. I mean, inflation went from, what, 8.7% to 3.7% or something like that, just under 9 to to where we are right now, under 4%. And we haven't gone into recession, and the economy looks decent, and jobs are not wrecked. But, the, but can they be satisfied? No, because they're not at their target yet. And Chair Powell indicated that they need to, they probably would like to see more economic weakness so they have more confidence that inflation will come down. Right, but that, that, that uh, I guess, hawkish, bullish aspect is one reason why we haven't really strayed from 4,300. In fact, Wells is out today, despite this week, elevated geopolitical uncertainty, uh, IG credit spreads are pretty tame, jobless claims came in sub 200K, and as a result, we do not see much downside to our target range of 4,200 to 4,600. They're still at 4,420 for year end. So you either you either are bullish because you're looking at the economy and earnings, or you're bearish because you're looking at Treasury yields. And there's a big split in the market. Barclays equity strategist put out an interesting note today. They looked at the last 24, 25 years and looked at the relative PEs to bond yields and actually said it's not as not as sharp of a correlation. In other words, they don't think necessarily equities are gonna fall because of this move up in real yields. However, Every, a lot of other people do. And that's certainly what we've been seeing in the market. As Bob Bassani said, hard to get some stabilization in the stock market without stabilization in interest rates. Uh, well, meanwhile, we said Amex. And I mean, the numbers there were, were quite strong. Uh, I cited them at the top of the broadcast. Card member spending up 7% year over year. That's adjusting for, uh, for foreign exchange. Strongest in the U.S. consumer segment up 9%. I mean, that's a sign, isn't it, Sarah, of, of it's a sign positive of the high things end. coming. 
I mean, Amex does cater to the high end. They do. They do. Uh, but they, but they, but I, they always mention the growth that they see in the younger generations, Gen Z and millennial customers. Steve Squarey also pointed out that that has been very strong growth. They are exposed to restaurants and travel, and that's where Americans are spending, and, and global consumers are spending and prioritizing right now. They own Resi, the <laughs> reservation, and, yeah. and that continues to be sort of it's a, a bright great spot. App, by the way. It's a great app. Yeah. Well, you can't go anywhere without To your point, I mean, in the call itself, uh, Steve Square says our card base is a really small piece of the overall U.S. economy, and one of the reasons we have such great credit metrics is we have really high-quality card member, and at this point in time, they have not been impacted by anything. Net write-off and delinquency rates are below pre-pandemic levels. Although, you know, if you're looking for any kind of sign of caution, they are setting aside provisions for credit losses, as we've been seeing across the financial space. $1.23 billion, so up sharply from last year, I think 60% or so. But they don't see any, any reason necessarily for caution yet, but you have to pre prepare for the eventual the likelihood not, of default. not uh, doing anything. No. Uh, the CFO did tell Becky, uh, small business up two, probably the weakest part of the silos they watch. You know, while we're on financials, we'll want to watch regions today. It's going to open down 8%. Uh, they was, was a miss, a miss on net interest income, a miss on net interest margin. Efficiency ratio was weak. They cut the guide. Provisions ran a bit hot. Nothing went well for this quarter. Right, but again, it's not, it's not the all-out concerns that we had for, during the regional bank scare. It's just, it's, it's bank by bank now. It's how, it's how are you doing on deposits? And some of them are up and some of them are down. How are you doing on provisions versus, versus miss? And then the net interest income. Um, but these are all sort of factors as the banks are working through a trickier environment, but they're not, even, even Fifth Third, who was on with us, is a little more cautious, I would say, about the soft landing story. And still, you know, not talking about any kind of major stress from consumers or recessionary indications. Just not getting it. Yeah. I thought one of the more interesting calls today was out of B of A, Hartnett. Every Friday, of course, has his flow show note, and he's been uh, bearish for a very long time, uh, but did say that investors are sufficiently bearish now for the 10-year to hit a ceiling, keep a ceiling of about five, and for S&P to basically hold uh, 4,200. He argues if it can't hold 4,200, then that is indicative of an imminent credit event or hard landing in his view which is interesting. I mean, this is the resilience that we've seen in this range last couple of weeks. Credit event. What's a credit event? It's a bad thing. <laughs> By the way, watch high yield. So have glad you you're here to help have me. You, have you been watching high yield? Yes, I do keep an eye on high yield. So there's some weakness there. I mean, there check out the HYG, the high yield ETF. Um, it's, it's showing weakness, and obviously that's also sort of a precursor to stress in the economy and the, and the markets. We're going to pull it up here. But that's something I know that people are watching because it had been cooperating it had. For, for a while as we've gotten this sort of soft landing story. But look at what's happened just in the recent weeks or so. Tick down, that's something that Although something Although defaults are still extraordinarily low. All right, let's move on now to President Biden's primetime address uh, after his return from the Middle East. Last night at the Oval Office, he delivered a $100 billion message to Congress, mostly regarding funding for Israel as well as Ukraine. I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine is a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Help us keep American troops out of harm's way. Help us build a world that is safer, more peaceful, more prosperous for our children and grandchildren.
Let's get the latest on the Israel-Hamas war. And for that, we'll go to NBC News correspondent Jay Gray. He's in Tel Aviv. Jay. Hey there, David. Yeah, and it seems to be a waiting game to see which will enter first, humanitarian aid into Gaza or Israeli tanks. I can tell you right now that the aid is going nowhere at this point. We expected at least 20 truckloads of food, water and medicine to cross the Rafah border crossing with Egypt into Gaza today, but it has not happened because, according to those on the ground, it is too volatile. We know they're continuing to repair roadways in the area that have been damaged by Israeli uh, fighter strikes. Uh, They are continuing to prepare for this move, though the U.N. has said uh, point blank, 20 truckloads, a great start. We need 100 truckloads a day to satisfy the need of Uh, two million or more who are trapped in Gaza right now, many of them uh, with nowhere to go. The buildup of Israeli defense forces along the border uh, to the area where they intend to go in has intensified. We see more equipment, more tanks. And uh, what we have heard from uh, the Israeli defense forces is that the pace of attacks from the air is unlike anything they've seen in decades. So they seem to be clearing a path right now. We have also been told that there have been contained raids by IDF teams along the fencing with Gaza and that area they consider a war zone. They, they've also said that they believe there are still Hamas operatives on the Israeli side of that fence. So that's something they continue to explore as well. All of that framed by the idea that protesters are continuing to pour into the streets across the region. Frustration, tension, and concern growing right now. Back to you. Uh, Jay, you mentioned the southern border, uh, but there's also tension, obviously, at the northern border with Lebanon. Uh, My understanding is an Israeli town nearby has been cleared. What can you tell us in terms of uh, what we're seeing there? Yeah, no, no question that that's wrapped up, ramped up significantly over the last several days. We've seen several volleys back and forth between Israeli forces and Hezbollah uh, soldiers, fighters on that side. And so that's something that continues to build. They are moving more equipment, uh, more manpower into the region. And there's a, a big concern that that could become a second front here. They have cleared out part of an area we know that anti-tank missiles were fired at a kibbutz in the area yesterday, artillery fire returned by IDF. So that is picking up dramatically. And then then the the drone strikes on U.S. bases in other parts of the Middle East, Jay, which we saw oil prices really react to last night. They're elevated again today. What do we know? Yeah, no, it's it's something that's being watched very closely. Of course, missiles uh, sent into... Uh, deal with that. And there's some thought uh, that all of this is going to build as we see the protest build. That That's something that seems to be fueling a lot of the anger and then a lot of the action across the region. And, and so that's something uh, that we're watching very closely as well. Most of that anger targeted at either U.S. or Israeli embassies. And then you see uh, the results of that in the action. Jay, thanks for that. We'll talk in a bit, obviously going into uh, an uncertain weekend, as we said earlier. Jay Gray of NBC in Israel. Still to come this morning, we'll turn our central bank focus to China and the message that they're sending when it comes to key rates. Take a look at the pre-market. Still weak here. We'll get to a bunch of names on this Friday. CSX, HPE, some reports on GM, calls on NVIDIA, TSM. And we'll look ahead to next week's earnings, including some mega cap tech in a minute. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. So in its monthly fixing, China keeping its benchmark lending rates unchanged in line with market forecasts. That decision coming in the wake of better than expected GDP and retail sales data this week. Eunice Yoon in Beijing with the details, because Eunice, there have been other sort of incremental moves by the Chinese government, right, to try to boost the economy and fix some of the lending problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But what we saw is that this uh, better than expected data this week uh, seems to have uh, given the policymakers a little bit of breathing room when it comes to policy. So the central bank had uh, stayed put on the uh, rates that are used as references for loans for businesses as well as mortgages. Uh, There's plenty of bearish sentiment towards the yuan, uh, which is also uh, seen as uh, one of the, the reasons against Uh, further rate cuts. Uh, But uh, the authorities here are towing a very fine line. In fact, uh, today, the uh, central bank also made a record cash injection uh, to the tune of $100 billion um, into the banking system. This was uh, to keep funding costs low, of course, uh, via uh, reverse repos. So uh, Barclays, as well as Sokgen, had said that longer term, they expect, uh, because of the weakness in demand here, that uh, there could be a further uh, policy cuts of about 10 basis points. Housing, of course, a major factor. We saw this week, again, new home prices uh, fall yet again in September. Also, Evergrande, the struggling property giant, uh, today uh, said that they were revising their um, their offshore uh, restructuring program uh, for the offshore bonds uh, didn't give a whole lot of detail. But what we do know is that the um, recognition hearing that they had scheduled for next week in Manhattan has been adjourned. Now, in addition to that, of course, the um, country needs to deal with a lot of geopolitics. And today we had a development on that front as well. Uh, the authorities here said that they were going to be restricting the export of graphite products, uh, certain ones that are used, especially in EV batteries, uh, these would work similarly to the ones that have been used for um, two key uh, chip making metals, and they're going to be kicking in December 1st. So a lot of different uh, uh, potential challenges uh, for the the policymakers here as they try to manage their economy. Uh, Eunice, it's David. You know, in my world, there are those who try to understand what the response will be from the Chinese to that latest round of export controls on high-end AI-related chips. Do we think this graphite um, export control that you just mentioned is the answer to what we saw from the U.S. earlier this week? Uh, I mean, it's difficult to say if it was exactly a tit-for-tat 
or if it was something that was in the works for quite some time. Uh, the, the thinking here, though, is that the, um, and what we see actually in the state media quite a bit, is that because the U.S. has been uh, putting in place these uh, curbs themselves, um, seen here as an attack on uh, China's tech industry, that the Chinese, uh, why wouldn't they uh, decide to uh, put uh, restrictions on a certain um, ingredients and components that are needed around the world and especially in the U.S. I mean, the authorities here had said that these um, export curbs for graphite weren't targeted at any one country, but it just so happens that uh, the U.S. is uh, one of the big recipients, as well as uh, Japan and, and South Korea. One big question, though, is um, really what the impact is going to be uh, because uh, they are restrictions, so they're still allowed to export, and uh, people aren't sure exactly how the Chinese are going to implement these restrictions. Uh, Eunice, uh, we'll talk in a bit about uh, some reaction on the street to NVIDIA in particular this week and after the break. Uh, good to see you. Eunice Yoon joining us from China. Still to come, we'll follow up on Netflix uh, one day after its big rally, biggest rally uh, since 2021. And in the next hour, some results from a CSX and the challenges facing the railroad operator. We'll get an exclusive with the CEO. Take a look at the pre-market. We're back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Netflix on track to extend gains a day after surging 16% on that sub-growth number and the earnings beat and the price hikes, the biggest single-day gain in nearly three years. Uh, meantime, uh, that got the attention of the Writers Guild, which tweeted, uh, great, uh, sounds like they can respond to uh, SAG's demands with an offer. Has nothing to do with that, though. No. I mean, take your shots, I guess, when you have an opportunity, but that seems a little... Uh, Dirty not, pool, yeah. Yeah, or even not necessarily focused on the on what's really going on. Uh, I mean, what's really going on is they kind of are the endgame player in media, is what you'll hear from a lot of people, uh, and you can't necessarily draw conclusions about the strength of that quarter and assume that the other streamers, whether they be uh, Disney+, Plus, uh, Max, Paramount, our own Peacock at Comcast and on from there are going to see the same kind of subscription additions that Netflix did, in part because of the crackdown on password sharing uh, and others. Um, sports rights are what's getting interesting for me, Sarah. Mm. You know, I know you've been following F1 very closely, but um, the NBA will, not Netflix really, more Amazon and Apple, what kind of participation will they continue to take in terms of the sports rights available? Because uh, after the NFL, there's a lot of question as to the capacity for many of the existing buyers of those rights to really step up in the same way, at least the way that might be expected from the likes of the NBA, which is looking for a, a significant increase above the 2.6 billion they make right now. And everyone wants it. Yeah, I mean, but there's, a, you know, the NFL, you almost either you're, you, if you're not in, you're not alive as a company. Whereas the NBA, you can conceivably go for a smaller package, which may be the case. Um, 
When do we get that? When, when does that happen? I mean, it's in process. It's People in are, process. But it wouldn't be for the, until the 25 season. So they got another year. But they're negotiating now. I mean, the analysts love on Netflix continues this morning. They deserve an Emmy for managing investor expectations, according to Bernstein. Morgan Stanley says they delivered the objectives they set out a year ago, accelerating revenue growth back to double digits and expanding margins. Wall Street was very pleased on this one. Yeah. Let's get the, the opening bell here in the CNBC real-time exchange. At the big board this morning, it's industrial player Enterpack Tool Group, formerly uh, Actuan Corporation at the NASDAQ. It's uh, Next Ego, an urban EV battery producer celebrating its listing via SPAC. Uh, speaking of EVs and sort of revisiting Netflix yesterday, it's worth revisiting Tesla as well. A lot of uh, street observers uh, remembered that this is the third straight earnings reaction day in which Tesla has fallen 9% plus. And Susquehanna with a big note out today saying, playing the volatility uh, post-Tesla earnings is getting to be an easier and easier call over time. But when you hear the, the biggest bulls, like a Dan Ives, really trash talk the conference call uh, and the quarter, there, there clearly are some questions that the investors wanted answered about when the price cuts would end, what that's going to do to margins, which saw a continued deterioration. It was in the numbers, and really, David, it was in the tone for Tesla, and I think that's what has analysts continuing to, to weigh in. Negatively, though, we haven't really seen any downgrades of Tesla. They still love it. They still love the long-term Well, what's weird is that even though it's down 9% after three straight earnings prints, it's still up 21% over that whole time period. And up 75% for the yeah. year. So... All, all relative, all in context. But we're going to be watching these big cap tech earnings next week. That'll set the tone, obviously, for the markets um, and a lot of them on macro drivers as well. You know, the Google with a lot of international exposure, for instance, Alphabet, same with Microsoft. It'll speak to, well, I think, enterprise demand. And, and, that, and there continues to be questions about whether that can all hold up. Another thing we'll talk about a lot, I think, is AI. And when it comes to Tesla, for example, they continue to invest heavily uh, in AI, both to fuel autonomous driving and full self-driving, but also uh, separately as well. Um, and then generative AI is going to be a key, a key question for Microsoft uh, in terms of uh, the introduction, of course, of, uh, of, of its recent uh, product, uh, pilot product, um, not to mention Alphabet and Bard and what they're seeing there. We haven't talked that much this week, at least, about AI, even though there have been a number of different forums this week in which you've got very prominent people talking about things like in 10 years, 80% of all jobs are going to be basically uh, replicated feels by like, AI. It feels like it's just so hard to know what the, what the immediate impact is going to be. It's like a question for another day when it comes to valuations of companies, unless you're NVIDIA or, you know, some of these picks and shovels, as they say. Right. As we, That's as where we, we are. As we point out many times, and I, I was talking earlier about Copilot, Microsoft's um, enterprise sort of uh, AI product that assists you in doing your job. But as we say, right now is, is a great deal of investment. We haven't seen as much yet on the product side here and there, but there is an expectation, obviously, that is coming in a significant way. The other, ben other beneficiaries are sort of just, in a simple way, data centers, um, you've got just so much equipment that needs to be delivered into these data centers as a result of the additional computing power that's needed to fuel these generative AI models that that's, uh, you know, that's not a bad business. You can take a look at something like Vertive. Remember Dave Cody? That, uh, that was one of the actually more successful SPACs um, of all time. 
and uh, you know that's uh, that's a name that uh, that has been a beneficiary sort of of this trend. Some follow-through to your point, Carl, on the earnings movers. Netflix up again. AT&T is higher again today. Tesla is lower. There's some carnage in the solar stocks, though, that I think are worth mentioning. After after we got news yesterday from Solar Edge, one of the big industries. I mean, lot, lots of lots of downgrades for that stock. That sounds like kind of a repricing there of what's going on um, when it comes to They Europe. came out with a pre-announcement, essentially. You can see what it's meant to the to the overall market cap. They're losing 35% of its value. Here's the key quote. And again, this was a pre-announcement, not the full earnings. Uh, we attribute uh, cancellations, and they're talking about significant cancellations, particularly from Europe. During the second part of the third quarter, they experienced, they said, substantial unexpected cancellations and push-outs of existing uh, backlog, higher than expected inventory in the channel, slower than expected installation rates, um, much slower at the end of the summer in September, where traditionally they do see a pickup. And again, this was focused um, in Europe, where um, their distributors just did not come through in terms of the demand that they had anticipated. It is having, as you point out, Sarah, an impact uh, largely across the board for the likes of Enphase and Sunrun and Sonova. First Solar, the big player here in the United States and the big manufacturer here, not, as you see, suffering nearly as much. Um, again, this was European demand, unexpectedly slow, particularly for what is typically a sort of a rebound mm. come into the fall. Bank of America cuts the price target from 146 to 65 Oof. and goes to sell. So that's the kind of action we're seeing on, on SolarEdge with the stock down 35%. They also mentioned higher rates a bunch in, in, this, in this report. And, I, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, that, that's the excuse du jour. We heard it from Tesla. It's valid. I'm not saying that it's not. But, but having all sorts of impacts there and, and questions about, I think, those higher inventories and whether they're going to be able to unload them. Meanwhile, a fairly defensive stance here at the Open. Uh, Dow's being led by Merck, which did get an upgrade uh, today over at UBS as they go to buy. Uh, Verizon uh, has earnings next week, Procter, Coke, uh, and then AXP's going to be the laggard, guys, despite all the metrics that we ended up talking about a few minutes ago. Expectations, I guess, were built in, even though the stock was only up 1% this year. The news from American Express was pretty good. On the, on the revenue side, on the commentary side. But, you know, it's an, it's an interesting one. I think that people are just expecting the, the consumer to turn. I think that, you know, the, the provisions for bad losses, a reminder that they're, they're expecting the charge-offs to increase and the delinquencies to increase. We, we heard a little bit from Discover this week as well. They, they warned about that. Again, I mean, I, I wrote down the quote because it wasn't a, a recessionary kind of thing, but... They said that they rose their loan provisions to just over 7%, increasing a modest deteriorating macroeconomic outlook, increasing delinquencies and higher loan balances. But modest was the key word yeah. on Discover. You have to wonder, uh, you know, travel and entertainment up 13 in the quarter. But uh, we did get the, that a warning from the State Department yesterday for Americans traveling abroad. There's obviously been evacuation notices from the U.K. and the United States out of countries like Lebanon. So I wonder at the margin if travel just gets a little more uh, treacherous or at least uh, by perception and if that, if that stems some, some buying at the margin. Yeah, and speaking of, we are seeing energy higher again today after we saw that big jump yesterday on the, on the news of the drone attacks on U.S. 
bases in the Middle East. I think Iraq was one of them. Um, oil, energy is one of the, well, actually it just flipped negative, but it was opening higher. It's been kind of a mix. We've got staples up today, real estate and utilities and healthcare. So there's definitely a defensive tone to the, to the market right now. Tech's under pressure, so the Nasdaq's down a third of 1%. There was one staples note that stood out, Nick Modi of RBC saying, saying it's, it's an overreaction to the obesity drugs here when it comes to some of these stocks. And, and there are other factors at work, international slowdown concerns, higher interest rates, making these bond proxies less attractive. But, but on the question about obesity drugs and whether long-term they will impact consumer appetites for sweet and salty snacks, he says a little bit overdone when we just don't know the data. I think we're going to talk to him in the 11 o'clock hour of Squawk on the Street. Right. Meanwhile, a story on the wires this morning about Novo and Lilly testing either older versions of, uh, of Wagovi uh, or Manjaro on kids as young yes. as six. Yeah, I saw that. Um, obesity in children is a problem. Diabetes, unfortunately, even adult onset diabetes in children is something that has been seen. We should always point out, because it can be a little, Novo Ozempic is the diabetes drug that has been out there for over five years that obviously also showed the significant ability to reduce weight in those who took it. Wagovi is the weight loss drug that Novo has. Um, and Manjoro, obviously, is Lilly's diabetes drug. It's both GLP-1 and a GIP, so it's got a dual mechanism in terms of replicating these hormones that can make you feel satiated, essentially. Uh, and it is yet to be approved for weight loss, Manjuro, but it's at the highest dose has the largest single weight loss reduction, as much as 22.5% of your body weight, um, your BMI. So just to, again, remind people what we're talking about, because sometimes I think it can get a bit confusing. And Majoro obviously is being mm -hmm. used off-label right now, but they have yet to get the full approval for weight loss itself, which is seen to be uh, uh, the most effective. I think 17% was where Ozempic, uh, or I should say Wagovi, came in. They're all kind of considered game changers, though. They are, by the without market. a doubt. And, and, the, and the kids thing adds another potential revenue. I mean, 20% of U.S. kids are obese, according to the CDC, defined by 95%, you know, of their... Of their Greater, you know, and, body mass index that's and, greater than 95%. And to the point, we, you know, we were discussing this yesterday, and I, so I, I, I did a bit more research, talked to, uh, listened to some things, talked to a couple people. The expectation is you're going to be on this more or less forever. <laughs> Somewhat similar to a statin where you just take it every day. Well, and if you're starting it in kids, then it's even longer. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, these are for chronic conditions of, uh, of obesity. Now they're being used differently. They're being used for people who want to just take weight off in a certain period of time. But, I mean, the one doctor I was listening to, his average you know, male weighed 270 pounds, average female was 230 pounds. That's where the chronic usage would be. Um, guys, we should probably mention GM, uh, the second biggest S&P gainer this morning. There is a wire story that uh, cites a union negotiator uh, that the company's uh, zeroing in on a tentative agreement. We're going to hear from Sean Fain later today. He will have an update on Facebook Live, we believe, somewhere around 4 o'clock Eastern, if reporting is correct. We'll see if that's anywhere near being true. GM does have earnings next week, but in a, in a not great tape, up 2% is going to make it the number one uh, S&P name. Interesting because... Seems like GM's kind of pulling away from the other two big three in, in, in terms of uh, negotiation momentum. Ford continues to lay off workers 
as a result of uh, the pressures regarding supply and production. But we'll see whether this uh, turns out to be anywhere near being real. I can't believe how long this has been going on now. Phil LeBeau told us. He said. He said. He was going to go, and he was right. Um, I haven't heard from him lately. I want to get a, I want to get a LeBeau oh, the meter. Le- we have him in the, in the next hour. We do. Let's walk on the oh, street. Oh, yes. With a preview of what okay, to expect I can from ask then. Good. UAW. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Another mover I'm watching is Mattel because I thought there was an interesting analyst analyst call on this. City initiated the stock and likes it. Um, this isn't a stock that's necessarily beloved by Wall Street, but they initiated it as a buy at, at 26. Said there's some upside and they see some green shoots of a turnaround in Mattel. Right-sizing the cost structure is a big part of the story um, and meaningful deleveraging of the balance sheet. They haven't really seen you know, the top-line growth. There was so much excitement around Barbie um, but, you know, I think high hopes that they would see more of an impact on that. Um, City says it's, it's still coming, potentially. It's the most valuable franchise here. And they also see a return of the Disney princess as, been, as benefiting Mattel. Guess that's happening. I don't know. I have two boys that aren't interested in Disney princesses. They're not? They're not, no. Lightning McQueen. You know, Lightning that's the McQueen. Ca- that's the Cars movie. That's very big in our house. We're also getting into Star Wars now. Oh, good. You're going to have a good time. <laughs> that could go on for a long time. Yeah. A long time. It, fe- it, it feels like they're too young for it, but they're very into it. They like the bat- they, they fast forward to the battle scenes. Really? The lightsaber battles. Oh, yeah. Those are boys. Um, PCs, uh, HPE, at least uh, yesterday, the uh, update, dis- disappointing. Uh, interesting uh, dynamics surrounding uh, enterprise and I guess... The PCs on the, on the hardware side, Acer, the Taiwanese PC maker, did tell CNBC that they believe PC demand uh, is back, uh, that it bottomed in May, uh, that uh, Q3 desktop revenues up almost 30. We did get a, an upgrade of Best Buy yesterday out of Goldman, but uh, that, was, that was no good what happened with uh, HPE yesterday. It was their investor day, and we're going to talk to the CEO in the, in the 11 o'clock hour of Squawk on the Street, and it was sort of put into the release a new guidance that, w- that was, I just want to read the numbers because they were, they were well below what the street is expecting, especially on adjusted EPS, 182 to 202. The street was at 214. Um, they're obviously expecting a hit from currencies as well, but I think there are some questions for a company that's been trying to tie itself to artificial intelligence. Remember, Antonio Neri has been saying that that's what they're pivoting and that's the enterprise of intel- artificial intelligence. Um, but it's selling off, and it's had a few rough quarters. So looking forward to hearing from him about what's going on there. should mention shares of Apple. Obviously still the largest market cap by far, $2.7 trillion, or down a bit. Some reports today in the journal about Tim Cook's continued travels through the country of China, which represents as much as, what, 20% of Apple's sales. Um, and continued concerns about demand for the 15, in particular, once again, the sighting of that ban of government employees bringing an iPhone to work, for example, and what, if any, impact that will have. Um, but Carl, this is his second trip and not that long. He's, he's been spending a good amount of time in what obviously is one of the more important markets for Apple. After the U.S. and Europe, it is his third largest market. Uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, there's been, uh, again, uh, very, I would argue, pinprick reporting on uh, the way in which Google's Pixel's taking some share in countries like Japan. 
Uh, and in a copycat move, in a way, uh, Google's beginning production of the Pixel in India, which of course has been a big part of Apple's uh, supply chain migration in the past few quarters. Probably should touch energy as well. Uh, oil is going to zero in here on two weeks of gains. Uh, yesterday we did get the headline that the U.S., according to Reuters, will be a buyer for the SPR, looking to add uh, 6 million barrels uh, by January. We'll see how easy that is, given that wasn't the initial target, guys, to buy somewhere in the $70 range? Oh, yeah. yeah. Missed the opportunity there as, as oil prices go higher. I, it's, hard to, it's hard to forecast this, right? Because I think the, the, the wild card is Iran and why the, why the market moved so much on, on word of the, uh, the drone attacks on, on U.S. bases from Iranian-backed groups. So anytime that enters the fray, we talk about the big oil producer, and that's, the, that's what causes oil prices to go up, eight-tenths of one percent, any escalation that involves Iran or Iranian-backed forces. All right. Meantime, U.S. production is coming in on records or approaching records. We did get the reporting midweek about Venezuela perhaps uh, helping uh, supply there, but that really was only good for a day or two of relief before prices revisited 90. Interesting that gas prices... Uh, are what 350 now? Uh, down some 30 cents. Uh, gas futures 52-week lows. Not sure whether that's a comment on demand and sort of recession, or whether whether it's some people say work from home means you drive less. Look at what Elon Musk was saying about hmm. getting back to the office, spoken by a man who sells cars. Yes. Yes. Although he has very, yeah, he's very emotional about that in general. This is a man obviously who basically has never missed a day of work in the last. <laughs> I don't even know. What did he say? Let them eat cake. Did he say that? I yeah. think it was something like that. Yeah, he, I mean, during our I was our very elitist to be right. able to work Yes, from during home. our interview, he was very passionate about it. But um, he's taken seven days off all year, so, you know, and he goes to the office every day, various offices, as you might imagine. He's going to he's gonna roll him over for 24, I thought, right? <laughs> check with HR. Yeah, he might. As we go to break, let's uh, check bonds. Uh, the Fed speak, unbelievably, not over yet. We got Harker a few moments ago. Uh, did mention that the job market is surprisingly strong in his words. Mester's coming up at 12.15. Uh, and with Bostic under our belt, that's the, uh, that's the array of Fed speak for the day. But you do have the 10-year, not far from session lows, just above 4.9. Well, so far, it's been a positive week for the energy sector, adding to its gain for the year. Where do oil prices fit into the future? Let's go to Pippa Stevens for a breakdown. Pippa. Hey, Sarah. Well, despite underperforming for the year, energy stocks came back into focus during the third quarter, with the XLE rising 10 percent compared to the S&P 500's roughly 6 percent decline over the last three months. And with West Texas Intermediate back above 90 bucks, the team over at YCharts took a look at which stocks within the energy sector have traded the most in line with oil prices on average over the last 10 years. The closer to a value of one, the more the stock tracks the price of oil. Oilfield Services names SLB and Halliburton came out on top. Fluctuations in commodity prices influence production plans for drillers, which directly impacts the equipment and services you need from names like SLB and Halliburton. EOG also tracking crude closely with more than half of the company's revenue coming from oil production. Across the sector, APA, Cotera and EQT have the lowest correlation to oil prices. Cotera and EQT, of course, are major natural gas producers. Guys, back to you. So, Pippa, what about what about, Carl mentioned gas gas prices? What's happening with there? And are they are they delinking? Are we talking about natural gas or gasoline at the pump? Both. 
Okay, well, we have seen what's happening with gasoline prices at the pump is that we have seen the crack spread for our Bob futures come down significantly. That's because refiners have been turning out a lot in order to get uh, exposure to, uh, uh, sorry, diesel, the diesel prices, which are, are hugely still up uh, amid uh, cuts from Russia and Saudi Arabia in their oil production. Of course, that is more distillate heavy oil. And so refiners are, their mm. utilization rates are up. And that means that gas, gasoline that we get at the pump is being produced as a byproduct as refiners keep that utilization up. Got it. Pippa Stevens, that answers it. Thank you very much. Guys, as we continue to watch these these energy prices, you know, also, you know, at the bottom of the list of the subsectors right now, it's so with regional banks, they're getting hit pretty hard today, down 4%. So I guess continuing to digest some of the fundamentals of that business as we go through, as we go through earnings right now. It's not all bad news. The railroads are getting a bounce well, today and some of the trains. Carl brought up Regions Financial. Yeah. That's obviously seen. Problematic. Yeah. I mean, the stock is down 14%. Uh, after that quarter, and that's that's pressuring the overall uh, index, as you might imagine. Uh, meantime, uh, watching transports, as we said earlier, not a good week. Uh, losing about 3% for the week, uh, one of the worst days uh, since April earlier on as we uh, had uh, some weakness out of the airlines in particular. But uh, we'll talk more about that. It's been a negative week for that sector. We'll talk about it in the context of rails coming up today in exclusive with the CEO of CSX. We'll talk earnings inflation as well uh, later on this hour or next hour. Be right back. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.